And hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education and politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And this week it's all about the IASA meeting in Boise this week, the Idaho Association of School Administrators to be exact. We were out there in force on Wednesday and Thursday, as were hundreds of uh, school administrators from across the state. So we're just going to talk takeaways from the conference this week. And I'm going to kick it off with you, Clark, because you were in one of the most crowded uh, breakout sessions of the uh, of the conference. All that accountability. What did you learn? And what did the administrators learn? Accountability uh, is going to be a topic that really ramps up starting next week, Kevin. And so what we're talking about is the state of Idaho really hasn't had an accountability model uh, since Tom Luna was superintendent of public instruction. That's when we had the five-star ratings. And a much maligned five-star system. It wasn't very popular with the administrators. It wasn't very... Uh, the metrics didn't make a whole lot of sense to a lot of people, so... And we only had it here. for a minute, so we haven't had accountability uh, under new superintendent Sherry Ybarra, uh, who's actually two years into her term almost now, so mm-hmm. not, yeah. not so much new anymore. Um, but under the new federal education law that you may have heard us talk about, the Every Student Succeeds Act, or ESSA, if you're into uh, government acronyms like, like mm-hmm. we are, that really pushes the accountability, the responsibility for oversight of our public schools away from the federal government and towards the state of Idaho, the State Board of Education, State Department of Education, State Legislature. And so at the School Administrators Conference this week, there was a packed workshop uh, where some of the folks from the State Board of Education went over their proposed accountability model. This is something that's going to go to the State Board of Education for a preliminary vote next week. Uh, They meet in Pocatello. We will have coverage of that meeting uh, during the second half of next week. And kind of the nuts and bolts of how this works is they want to get away from the five-star rating, obviously. A lot of people right. didn't like that. They don't want what we call a summative rating, where we're comparing schools across the state to each other, big, populated, uh, well-funded Affluent, schools to rural schools to smaller schools, elementary schools to high schools, and so they want to get away from that. So one of the main things they talk about is, first of all, separating out the elementary and the secondary education schools, and then separating out alternative schools from those. So kind of three different classifications, and then rather a rating where you guys over here get a a five and you guys over here get a four. They talk about having a data dashboard, Kevin. Uh, And what that would be, that would be a way to display school performance measures for the public, for parents, uh, for taxpayers, for the community. And so what could be on that data dashboard, we don't know exactly how it will work work just yet, but it could be things like uh, graduation rates uh, for your four-year cohort at the high school level. It could be uh, the percentage of students who are proficient on their state assessment test, or at the elementary level, it could be uh, ISAT scores once again, and then readiness to move on to the next grade levels and to secondary education. So we expect the state board, with a new member who was appointed uh, just this week, uh, to take a look at that next week if they give the preliminary green light. We're looking at a public comment period in September where taxpayers in, in, in school uh, personnel and educators can weigh in back to the state board, then finally back to the legislature in January or February with the idea that this would take effect and, and, and sort of be the governance accountability structure Uh, Not this upcoming school year, but the 2017-2018 school year. Uh, Kevin, I know that that's something that 
a lot of people are going to be looking for in terms of the state stepping up and how they're going to handle this. And we'll be watching next week to see how the state board uh, addresses it. Yep, absolutely. And uh, But there were many other things uh, during the, the last couple of days at the school administrators conference that we, we took a look at and, and, and dove into, but uh, uh, the budget w- w- was one of them, was right. it not? When we talk about education spending and, and where we've been this last year and, uh, and what, what we might be looking at next year, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard not to talk about uh, the next legislative session without starting to talk about the, the next education budget. And one of the things that was kind of a takeaway in one of the panels that I attended was uh, talk about year three of the career ladder, you know, the next phase of rolling out the task force recommendations. Um, This will be interesting because this is a $56 million request to fund year three of the career ladder. That's more money than the first two years of the career ladder. So this is is going to be a little bit more of a lift. little too early to tell kind of what the tax and budget and you know, surplus or non-surplus uh, picture for, for state uh, tax collections is going to look like. Uh, we're going to be a few months away from that, but that's going to be an interesting piece of the budget equation. There's been a lot of support for the task force recommendations and a lot of support for funding the task force recommendations, so we'll see if if there's support for a $56 million increase in teacher pay. Interesting, as we were at the, uh, at the conference this week, uh, Jeff Thomas, the uh, superintendent from Madison, uh, he was the luncheon speaker on Thursday, touched on a lot of things, had a lot of pointed <laughs> remarks about, uh, you know, about uh, Tom Luna, about testing, about uh, throwing a couple of, a jab or two at the Albertson Foundation as well. Um, but also put in a pitch for doing more for teacher pay, uh, reminding the audience that back when the task force got to work, there was talk about let's boost teacher pay to 40000 at the front end, 60000 at the top end. That's uh, quite a bit more. His platform, though, would be ladder. familiar to people who followed the early iterations of the career ladder discussions when it was more uh, along those lines of that 40, 50, 60, kind of the three-tiered benchmark level. That went away, obviously, uh, by the time that they set that career ladder law in 2015. But that was kind of the initial talk uh, of, of how this could could look, that was one option, and, and he brought that back around. And I think that was a nod to concern over, are your veteran teachers being rewarded under the career letter? We've heard that. We've covered that a little right. bit, right, Kevin? That's not new. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how that, uh, how that budget plays out. How does that play out into the uh, debate about, um, about evaluations for teachers? Uh, how much more discussion... About evaluations, do we hear during the 2017 legislative session when there's a $56 million spending proposal on the table? Chips up to be interesting stuff. Another couple of meetings that you were in that also drew some pretty big crowds because this is new and this is a new challenge now for, for school districts is the Literacy Initiative, which starts this year, starts really in the next few weeks in, in the elementary schools. What did the administrators hear about this? This was another one that was just packed. I mean, we're talking standing room only crowds with 40, 50 school administrators uh, against the walls and sitting on the floor. Uh, But to take you back, uh, the Literacy Initiative involves 
$9.1 million in new state funding to help these vulnerable young readers, students who score below uh, grade level benchmarks uh, on their Idaho reading test. There's 30 some thousand of these students uh, across the state, mm -hmm. Kevin, right. uh, that are reading below grade level within grades K through 3. And so the legislature set aside $9.1 million in new funding. And what they're looking for, what they're expecting school districts to do is for those students who are below grade level benchmarks to provide them with supplemental reading instruction. It's either going to be 30 hours if you're kind of in one of the in-between levels, if you mm -hmm. score a, a 2 on the test, I believe, and then 60 hours of supplemental instruction uh, for the students who score at the very lowest levels. And uh, a couple interesting things about this, it is up to the school district uh, leaders themselves to set up their own plan for her, their district. They're not trying to say that everybody across the state has to use uh, the same uh, intervention schedule or, or the same remediation program. It's up to local districts. Uh, and that could take the form of before school instruction, summer school instruction. And this is something we've talked about a little bit, and it'll be interesting to see if any district goes this route. Uh, but districts are able to use their share of the funding to establish optional all-day kindergarten for mm -hmm. students who read at the lowest level. And so with the school year uh, three, four weeks away, in the case of some districts, administrators are really looking to get guidance uh, on what's expected, what's allowed, what's not allowed under this new literacy law. And so you saw a lot of districts, uh, curriculum directors and superintendents and building principals attending these workshops trying to get ideas for how they will tackle this literacy problem. Interestingly, uh, Julie Van Orden, the House member um, who carried both of the literacy right. laws on the House floor, she did make a point to administrators. She said the legislature, after they invested this kind of money, are really going to be watching you guys. They're really going to be looking to see what you guys do in terms of literacy remediation and does this move the needle. I don't know that it was necessarily a warning, but it was saying this is a lot of money. We're expecting good things. We want feedback. Uh, down the line, and we're really hoping uh, that this can move the needle with our vulnerable young readers, because so often we hear that if you're not on track reading by third grade, you can be behind, uh, at least within English and reading, your whole academic career. We hear that over and over again, Kevin. But there seems to be some excitement about doing this. I mean, you were writing about it on Thursday that when Representative Van Orden was talking about the process that got us to this point of getting this through the legislature, superintendents and administrators were excited. I mean, there were cheers. They were kind of psyched about uh, taking this challenge on. There were cheers in the room. People were saying things like, wow, uh, when, when Representative Van Orden and Tracy Bent from the State Board of Education explained that this was $9.1 million in new funding, that it's on top of existing literacy funding levels, and that Van Orden uh, plans to keep it in the budget going forward. Uh, at one point, they interrupted her talk uh, to give her a round of applause. And so I think that for administrators, this was an example of the legislature doing something tangible where money can work its way into the classroom to benefit students. And uh, it was refreshing for the school administrators that I saw in that room. And a sneak preview, we're going to get out into the schools when the year starts to just kind of uh, do some in-depth reporting about uh, literacy instruction in the state, get a sense of what's going on right now.
what's working, where the challenges are. So, so look for that in the weeks and months to come. That's a big project we're gearing up for. But speaking of Representative Van Orden, yes. Kevin, we, there's an opening at the top of the House Education Committee. And in terms of this conference, we saw one lawmaker in particular who was there every day, who was making the rounds, who was leading workshop discussions. Who was it? And that was Julie Van Orden. So the situation in a nutshell... Um, there is going to be a vacancy at the, the chair of the House Education Committee. Reed DeMordant is stepping down at the end of his term. So somebody's got to step into that void. Uh, Julie Van Orden from Pingree is uh, vice chair of that committee. And she's uh, made no secret of the fact that she's interested in the, in the post. So, yeah, making the rounds with the school administrators doesn't directly affect the outcome of the committee, uh, the committee assignments when those come. It does show that she's, uh, you know, serious about trying to, uh, you know, shore up some allies, make sure that she's got administrators uh, who know who she is and know what she's been up to. It's going to be a really interesting process to watch, and it's going to be a process that we can't really handicap. We still right got to get through November's election, number it, one. Exactly. Um, so your, your civics lesson about committee chairs—they uh, are selected by leadership in the House and the Senate. Leadership in the House and the Senate is selected by the, by the members of the caucus. So, in November, after the election, the jockeying really begins for the leadership positions. The actual vote comes at the very end of November. There's an organizational yep. session where, where leadership is, is chosen. Where this all leads to is uh, there's been a little bit of speculation about what that House Republican caucus is going to look like when we, uh, when we see them reconvene in the end of November. Is it going to be a more uh, conservative group that may be looking to make a change in leadership, specifically the speaker's position? I have no sense right now about somebody actively lobbying to get support from from colleagues to take a a run at that speaker to challenge uh, Speaker Bedke. So, and the way I look at the results from from May, it's it's hard to say. It's kind of a mixed bag at best. Some conservatives lost in that May primary, some moderates lost in that May primary. And you don't really know what you're going to have in terms of a caucus until after the November elections. I mean, there are Republicans who could lose in November. Uh, There are Republicans who could take some seats that right now belong to Democrats. I'm thinking about a couple of seats in Lewiston. That would add a Republican or two to the caucus, and that may change the, the dynamic in the caucus. You know, there are Republicans who could lose in the general election, perhaps in, in Boise in, in District 15, perhaps uh, Steve Miller in that district that takes in Blaine County. So a lot of things could happen. So long story short, we can't really tell whether this is all going to affect the the shakeup at, at House Education. But clearly, uh, Julie Van Orden is uh, is making her presence known and, and made her presence known. She was really the only lawmaker we saw from gavel to gavel at, at the conference. She's week. not a local lawmaker in Boise either. She came over uh, from eastern mm-hmm. Idaho, made you know a three-hour drive, dedicated herself to spend time at this conference, but I also want to point out she is a former school board member. She knows the leaders of that group and other school board members um, very well. And so she's one potential name, and certainly there would be precedent uh, for the leadership team to select a vice chair uh, to be promoted to chair, uh, but that doesn't always happen that, that way. A lot that of... tends to be the protocol, but there are no guarantees. Exactly. Usually, often, frequently, 
yeah, how, how can I couch it? How can I couch it more? It would be the most traditional way to go. It's kind of the standard default, if you will. You know, if you got a vice chair who has put in some years, has some knowledge of the issues, kind of logically, you promote that person. It, it happened with Dean Mortimer in Senate Education. It happened with Sean Keogh on JPEG. But there are no guarantees. So no, we'll keep watching. Not at all. A couple other topics real quick from our conference this week. Uh, the state board, uh, go on numbers. Kevin, you had a chance to look uh, at that. What's, what's the latest? Well, they talked a little bit. State board members uh, give us giving a sense of what they are doing in various uh, fronts in terms of trying to improve college attendance and, and the college go-on rate. So what we heard a little bit about is uh, what's happening with the direct admission plan. This is what they launched last year where students got letters from the state board saying, uh, your grades, your test scores are good enough to get into Idaho colleges, so go ahead and apply because you're basically guaranteed a spot. So they don't know yet how many more students came in because of that, but they're going to uh, try it again next year. They're actually going to double down. Right. You know, they're going to send out two letters to high school seniors. So if you're the parent of a high school senior or, or a high school senior, don't you throw the State Board of Education. It, it might not be spam. It might be something that has to do with uh, you know, your, your ability to go to college in Idaho. So that was one thing uh, they updated about uh, what's happening with uh, scholarship funding, what may happen in terms of increased funding for college and career counseling. So you can check all that out on my blog. One other thing we need to point out, a little bit of a humble brag here, uh, the award ceremony was Thursday afternoon and our editor, Jennifer Swindell, won the, uh, the media award from IASA for leading us and you know, leading our team. So this is the second time we've gotten this award. It was a nice moment, Kevin. You've won that uh, award before. It's nice to be recognized by educators, as some of the, the awards that we're up for uh, were recognized by our peers, by journalists. This was nice because it was a group of educators and administrators uh, who, who, who awarded it, and right. so it's nice uh, coming from them. And certainly Jennifer was the one who launched Idaho Ed News in conjunction with our, our funders, and, and she really had the vision and, and laid out the groundwork. We would not be where we are today without Jennifer, and, and so I was really happy and, and a really well-deserved award. This is one of the times where I will admit that I'm a biased reporter here. Obviously, she's my boss, and yeah. I believe in her, and I'm so happy for her, but I thought that was awesome. Uh, before we move on to talk about next week, uh, for the folks that are watching us on Facebook Live, I want to give a shout-out to Justin uh, for watching us today from Boise. He's going to win a prize. You can pick water bottle or a t-shirt. And then we had a question from Alicia about the new State Board of Education appointment, Andy Scoggin. We just got that news yesterday from Governor Butch, Butch Otter's office. Andy Scoggin comes from Albertsons. He's a Boise businessman. He's got government affairs experience. We are funded by the Albertsons Foundation. But I don't know Andy. I've never met uh, Andy Scoggin. Me I, I don't know him. I mean, I know a little bit about his background from what we... Uh what we saw from the news from Otter's office on Thursday. Interesting who uh, made the list of finalists and who... A uh, couple you know, big hitters. Uh, some fairly big names. Uh, John Grossenbacher, who was the retired manager at the Idaho National Lab for about a decade. Uh, John Getty, former state senator from Coeur d'Alene. So those were the three finalists. The governor's office picked Andrew Scoggin. Uh, I guess he begins his uh, assignment next week with the state board uh, meeting in Pocatello. Appointment is still subject to Senate approval, uh, confirmation, next session. He begins 
the appointment, right. but it's subject to uh, review and, and confirmation next winter. Right. So. It would not have surprised me, quite frankly, if Governor Otter had appointed any of the three of the finalists that we're aware of. Those are names we've heard before, names who have worked with the governor. Uh, and, and likewise, it does not surprised me that the governor appointed a businessman uh, with government affairs and, and political experience. So never met him, don't know him, looking forward uh, to getting to know him, uh, even though we do have the connection where our funding comes from the Albertson Family okay. Foundation, <laughs> he comes from the Albertson uh, corporate, corporate business world. So there is a, a separation there that's worth noting. But yeah, looking forward to meeting him. Uh, next week, we've talked about the state board a little bit. I'm going to be covering uh, that meeting. They are going to be focusing on the accountability structure. I think that's going to be big news. We're going to let people know uh, if the state board does, in fact, take that up, which way they go on their vote. And we'll give folks a breakdown of what you could expect uh, under a new accountability mm -hmm. system, like we said, broken out with the elementary, secondary, and alternative school level. Keep in mind, though, even as you see that coverage next week, still preliminary, still a right. public comment window, still a legislative hurdle uh, to clear. But we will stay on top of that and all the rest of our education policy news. Kevin is getting geared up on his literacy project. I think you're going to be excited about that, uh, to read that in the coming weeks and months. I think that does it for me, Kevin. Is there anything I've missed out on or I left out? I think we covered a lot of ground from this week's conference and teed it up for next week. So we will be back here next Friday with another edition of the Extra Credit Podcast. We won't be doing the Facebook Live, but we will be doing the podcast as we do every Friday. If you're watching us on Facebook Live, you can find us for free on iTunes to catch up on any Extra Credit episodes you missed or to catch us on days when we don't broadcast live. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening and for watching this today. Like us on Facebook and follow at Idaho Ed News on Twitter for all the latest. Don't forget to have a great weekend. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.